Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to just tag a couple of real quick thoughts and move on. I think this is our fourth message on this, so if you want to go back and catch up, you can go to the website and the podcast and, and listen to them. But as we've looked, we've been, we've been looking uh, at the list in Exodus chapter 20, and we, we've, we've noted this is just <clears throat> 10 statements that are, are representative of the entire law, which was 613 laws. And not only were, were, could they reduce it to the 10, which we did here in Exodus 20, but um, Jesus in Matthew reduced it to two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbors as, them, as yourself. But Paul then in Romans chapter 3 reduced it to, um, or excuse me, it wasn't... Um, chapter 3, but in Romans, um, he reduced it to love does no harm to his neighbor. So the, the, the detail is important because remember, in, in the law was not just prohibitions on what not to do, but there were prescriptions of sacrifices that were needed under the covenant of Moses to get out from under the penalty of sin, and not only get out from under the penalty of sin, but to teach the people this is what the Messiah represents, the Messiah who is to come that we really don't know yet. Moses met him face to face. Abraham met him. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with him. But as a general rule, people didn't know him personally. In fact, when he came to to Moses in, in the wilderness, he said, bring the people to the mountain, I want to meet them face to face. And they came to the mountain, and when he appeared, they ran off and told Moses, we don't want to talk to him. You go back, you talk to him, you come back and tell us what he said. He's too scary. We do not want a face-to-face relationship with him. It's just not, it's, we can't do it. Which was not pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> but, we, we have also looked in Romans 3 that by the deeds of the law, no flesh is justified. We don't get saved by keeping the law because we cannot keep the law. But because we can't keep that law, it points out to us that we are sinners. And therefore, we need a, a Savior. For Christians, it, the, the law points to where our life should be if we are living by our spirits, if I am living perfectly in tune with the voice of God and the Word of God, which they always agree, then, then when I read the law, the law does not convict me. Now, because I don't do that, none of us do, the law constantly convicts me and brings, brings condemnation to me and tells me I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. That's why everything that we do when it's connected to the law has to be also sprinkled with huge doses of grace and mercy. We have to constantly run back to Hebrews where, where 
the writer says, come boldly before the, the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We are not perfect, but we are redeemed. We are new creatures. That we, we need to keep ourselves in remembrance that we are three-part beings. The real me, the me that's going if I die, if I drop over dead in the next two seconds, the real me is going to go to heaven. That spirit within me is remade perfectly, holy, just. I look just like Jesus on the inside. Amen? My flesh, my body, is made up of the dust of this earth, and it carries the curse of the fall, the curse of the, well, not the curse of the law, we've been redeemed of that, but it, 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 it retains the nature of sin because when Satan sinned and then led Adam and Eve into sin, sin permeated the entire universe, and the entire universe is, is um, how do you say, um, tainted. It's Rome, or I think it's in Romans where Paul says the whole universe groans. It wants to throw off the shackles, the, 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 the material. The atoms, the energy of the universe has, in, in, in some sense, and please don't take this too far because then you can get over into New Age, you know, Star Wars, there's an inanimate force behind everything. No, there are spirits, Satan and evil spirits, God, the Holy Spirit, and our spirits. That's it. But there is a part of the natural universe that has some type of, of, of memory that this is not how it used to be. Everything used to be in harmony, and now it's not. And it wants to go back to harmony. And it will when Jesus comes back at the end of the millennial reign and we go into the new heaven and the new earth. It'll be so different than what we have today. Today pales in comparison to what we are going to have. But we can walk in parts of it today by faith. Amen? But we looked at the very first part, Exodus 20, verse 1, that God said, I am the God who delivered you from slavery. We saw God as a deliverer. He's a sympathetic God. But He is also a demanding God. I, I, I've, and I'm going to get to this in a little while, but one of the, in the bulletin today, I wrote a little piece for Facebits, Faithbits because I had this big, long conversation on Facebook over the weekend with one of my former students who is now an EMT and considers herself this great medical expert, which she's not. But she's arguing for, for the, from the position that abortion is right and moral because it's my body, I decide. And I, 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 didn't, I, I did argue with her, but I didn't get argumentative and I didn't get insulting. I just kept laying out fact after fact after fact after fact, and she had nothing to refute it, so she had to start making up her own facts. But my, my point is, in all of this, we have to remember that those people are just as valuable to God as I am. There's part of me that her words and her thoughts and her what she's preaching disgusts me and angers me. And I want to hold her in contempt. But I have no right 
to do that. I have to keep coming back. That's part of what the, the study of the law does. It brings me back to the realization that um, absent grace and God's mercy, I'm right where she is. And probably even worse. I'm capable of doing the, the grossest evil that exists. So when I approach those that are preaching evil, I cannot take it personally. And I have to keep, I have to temper everything I say with, with the knowledge that God wants to redeem them. But God, on the other hand, when, in, in part of what I wrote there, there are a group of, of um, ministers that had, and this was back in 2018, they opened a brand new abortion facility and they went in and blessed it in the name of Jesus. They did evil in the sight. They, they, they put attached God to a, a place that's going to do, do despicably evil acts. God does, is, he is not pleased with that. He said, I am merciful. I will deliver you. But you can have no one before me. That's part of the reason I read a minute ago in Hebrews chapter 3. He said, you cannot enter into my rest until you come in by faith. Because your faith has to be centered on me, not on you, not on your circumstances, not on your family, not on your talents, not on your money, not on anything. If, if, if you think your sin, because the law says you are a sinner, if you think your sin is greater than I am and greater than my mercy is and greater than my grace is, then you are out of faith and you're over in unbelief and you can't hinder my rest. So while we're, we're looking at this and we realize there, is, there are always two sides to this. The, the unbelieving believers will tell you God's all about grace and mercy, but they will reject His judgment. They will reject that He is a jealous God. I just read after someone, I can't remember who it was, um, may have been Oprah, that in her own testimony she rejects the God of the Bible because she read in, in, in Exodus that God is a jealous God. And she, by her, out of her own mouth she said, if God is jealous, I'm not serving Him. My God's never jealous. Well, you're not serving the God of the Bible then. Because He says, I am jealous. I am jealous of your worship. And if you worship anything ahead of me, we have a problem. That's what he's been saying through all of this. Now, in, in chapter or, or Exodus 20, verse 3 through 6, we saw he said, don't have any other gods before me. Don't put anything ahead of me. I am the only one that you can worship. Period. End of statement. In um, verse 7, he comes to the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I'll be honest with you. Growing up, I had the ability, I had a very sensitive ear, not to pitch, to, but to my mother's presence. If my mother was within earshot, you never heard a curse word come out of my mouth. If my mother was out of earshot, I would embarrass sailors with my language. Oh, I cussed worse than sailors. Saying I cussed like a sailor would be an insult to sailors. And I used the Lord's name in vain 
all the time. It was GD this, GD that. If you limit taking the Lord's name to vain to just that, you've missed this commandment. This commandment is so much broader than just using the name of God or the name of Jesus in a disrespectful, flippant way. Don't misunderstand me. We are not to lift up or to bear the name of Jesus flippantly. We should reverence His name. When, when this verse says to don't take, literally the Hebrew word there for take means to lift up or to carry or to bear that name. It's, I've said it before. My mother preached to, to my brothers and I constantly. I heard it over and over and over again. Robert's boys don't behave that way. And I've said it every time I tell this story. My first thought is, Mom, you're slipping. You're getting old. Of course we behave this way. We behave this way and worse when you're not around. But that's not what she was trying to impart to us. What she was trying to impart to us is you carry my name. And I'm not accepting this behavior if you're carrying my name. We see that in business. Boy, if you are in a, in a business card, you, you look at any uh, van, delivery vehicle, truck, you will all the time see phone number, how's my driving? Why? Because if you become a fool on the road, they want to know it. The company wants to know because they don't want their company name represented with stupidness. How much more should we lift and carry and bear the name of Christian Literally, to be a Christian means to take on the name and the, and, the, and the actions and the nature of Christ. To be a little Christ. We are His mouthpiece. We are His feet. We are His hands. Christ is not in the world today. He is seated at the throne, or on the throne. The Holy Spirit is in the world, but the Holy Spirit and Christ and the Father have chosen to operate through us, through people. And He says, you go in My name, and you cast out devils. You lay hands on the sick. You do miracles. He's put all the responsibility on us. He said, you go do My job, because I can put a couple of hundred million of you out there. There's only one of Me. That's why it's to your advantage if I go and the Holy Spirit comes. Because then He'll empower me. And you don't have to form up a line to get people to me. I'm only one man. If i got to minister to people one-on-one, can't do it. There's too many people in the world. It's why He went to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. And we have that responsibility. That's why in the New Living Translation of Exodus 20, verse 7, it says you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse His name. There are consequences to carrying, calling yourself a Christian and your behavior doesn't line up as a Christian. The message I put on the the board out there this morning. Your life tells a story. Do you mean what you say? 
If you call yourself a Christian, then you are saying, I am Christ-like. And if you don't live Christ-like, he takes that seriously. When it says in in vain, it means to, to do something in an empty way or do it falsely or worthlessly. It comes from the root word, Hebrew word show, which means to bring something to ruin or to waste. How many times, and we can all get upset about it, have you, have you seen um, pastors, preachers, evangelists, whatever title you want to give them, because of modern technology, they have been known everywhere, and they get caught up in sin, and they make a very public falling. We all can recognize that's not good. That's not good. That brings that gives unbelievers ammunition to say you're no different than we are. But how many times they do that publicly? How many times do we do that in smaller measure privately? That's what this thing is saying. It's saying, look, Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God, wants you to represent His character properly. It means that you have to learn to, to, to carefully speak when you speak for Jesus. To say, and I've said it before, the Lord is saying this. Wow. That's a big responsibility. You better have heard from God. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I am learning more and more, and sometimes I forget, but I'm learning more and more that I need to alter how I say that. If I'm going to say that, I need to qualify that and say, look, I believe that God's speaking this to me about this situation or about you. And I pray, God, I'm right. But you take it and you judge it. We need to be careful about declaring this is what God says on this situation. Because you assume an awesome responsibility when you do that. Awesome. And if you are wrong, well, if you're only dealing with one person, the consequences may not go far. But sometimes you can turn one person the wrong way. What if, what if someone had done that to the man who led Billy Graham to the Lord? Sometimes you only have to break one little um, branch off a long, extended set of circumstances, well, God would have just got someone else. I think that's probably true, but I don't want to make it... I don't want to to be in the position where I'm making God work overtime to help fix my foul-ups. Amen? So, we need to be very careful. Jesus said this, Matthew 24, verse um, 4 through 6. Now, this is a little different um, um, circumstance. This is during the, 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 the tribulation period or right at that period. It says, Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. That's the problem. When you speak, are you speaking deception or error or truth? That's even why it's, it's important to be careful how, what you claim the Bible says. 
I can, I can look at the Bible and I have my interpretation and I've said it before. As far as I know, my theology is perfect. And that's not arrogance. That's just the truth. Because if you can go and show me where my theology is not right, I'll change it in a heartbeat. And then, once again, it's perfect. Now, do I think in an absolute sense that my theology is perfect in it and you cannot find any error in it? Well, I'm not that big a fool. Of course there's error in it. I have very limited knowledge. I don't, someone asked Kenneth Copeland one time, they said, do you preach the whole gospel message? And he said, of course not. I don't know the whole gospel message. I don't have a, a, an encyclopedic knowledge. I read scriptures all the time and I read them and I look at them and I think, I have never seen that in this scripture. How could I have read that a thousand times and I saw something different in it today? That, and I'm telling you, sometimes I read them and it takes my theology and it spins it like a top. And I think, whoa, how do I fit that into this belief structure? And sometimes I just have to say, well, I'll have to study that one. I'll have to pray on that one for a while. Because I just don't, that just doesn't fit how I see this. And you have to meditate and ask God and let Him change you. But I want to make sure of my motivations. When I come in His name, now this is, this is a rebuke to false messiahs. But since Jesus has called me to go in His name, when I go in His name, I have to be real careful. What are my motivations? Am I, is, is my motivation to exalt me, to exalt my interests, or to exalt the kingdom of God? And boy, you know, if you've ever done any marriage counseling, this is a universal truth. What's universal truth in any relationship? But it really shows up in marriage more. And let me just use Stephen, Stacy as examples, because they're the first married couple I looked at this right now. And, and this is kind of universal for, from both parties. When, when Steve and Stacy, let's say they, they have a misunderstanding, and they're thinking they're, there's a pause in the, the uh, exchange, shall we say. Steve is thinking, well, she thinks I said that, but I didn't mean that. And he's judging what he said by his motivation. And Stacy, unless she's extremely wise, which I am sure she is very wise and never thinks this herself. <laughs> Smart man, that is exactly where the amen went. She is judging his remarks by exactly what he said because she does not know his motivation. And that is exactly reversed. When she thinks about what she said, she will judge herself by his motivation. And Steve, being a man, is just thinking about what she said. Amen? You notice I throw the guys under the bus and just treat the ladies well because I have been down this road once or twice before. Steve will whack me. The ladies, wow. Anyway, we have to be careful when, when we get into situations like this of judging my motives, but not just judging my motives, looking at the other side, and it's difficult to do. When you get into exchanges with people, especially if you're a guy, my wife all the time tells me, she says, why do you make everything out to be a contest? Why does it always have to be so competitive? 
And I look at her like, because it is. How do you not understand that everything in life is a competition? <clears throat> One brave man. To most men, life is a competition. But I have to realize when I get in, especially a serious theological discussion, or, or like I was on Facebook this weekend debating this whole position on abortion, I have to be really careful how do I present this in a way that just doesn't harden these people? How can I present it that will influence them for good, but not, and I don't care what they think of me. Everybody's got an opinion about me that knows me, and I can't affect that opinion very often. But I have to make sure that everything in my, I do everything in my power to not bring disrepute on Jesus' name, because I am representing Him. And when I represent, if my motive gets shifted over, and usually it starts pretty pure, I want people to understand this is not right. And it has serious, serious effects on our society at large, but in particular it has serious physical, emotional, and mental effects on women and men who consent to abortions. There is a, and it's one of the reasons, this is a little side thought, but I'll chase this little rabbit for a second. It's one of the reasons that a lot of people will argue and justify abortion because in their background they have an abortion and they have to vehemently take a stand that this is not wrong because they can't admit that they are wrong because they can't live with the guilt. And if we agree with them, you're right. Then how can God ever deal with them? In order to seek a Savior, you have to first need, know that you need a Savior. And to, to come out of the guilt of some massive sin or... or, or um, misstep, you have to admit to yourself, I was wrong. Boy, I'm telling you, our pride just does not want to do that. I mean, it, you, I've seen it in several sitcoms over the years. <clears throat> so if, the, if you send this, does that mean that you're wrong? And, and the person looks and says, yes, I was And they can't get the word out. It's like I, I, I can't admit, I can't say that I'm wrong because my ego, my, my ego is too fragile and my pride is too strong. Well, that comes back to the first commandment. God's before everything. And I have to go before Him with the knowledge and the realization that I am one sick puppy. I am a total screw-up. There is nothing in me that you can use unless you put it in me, because there's nothing good in me. It's just not there. Everything I do is corrupted by sin. It's only through His grace and His, His anointing that anything that I do can amount to anything. But when we, when we do this, we have to keep understanding and keep bathing ourselves in this knowledge that I am still covered by His grace and mercy. Paul said, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do this work. 
He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve Him. That is a universal statement for all of us. If you are a Christian, God gives you the strength to do the work He's called you to. He considers, Jesus Himself considers you trustworthy. And He appoints you to some task to serve Him. But then Paul gets into my side of it. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I persecuted His people. We look at Paul's life and you say, yeah, Paul, you were pretty raunchy, you were pretty mean. You killed people, you drew them before uh, the courts. Paul had Stephen stoned to death. and Stephen's just the one that's recorded. I'm sure there's many more that Paul... And yet Paul later on in his writing says, I have harmed no man. How are those two true? Because Paul was talking about the old man versus the new man. The new man still has his past that he's blasphemed the name of Christ. That is a direct violation of the third commandment. Don't take my name in in vain. But he said, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do when it was absolutely the wrong thing to do. But notice how he goes, Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. As you go through these these commandments, you will get a picture over and over. I'm a total screw-up. I'm a total... totally flawed human being. There is nothing good in me. And if you get over there too far, you will be of no use to the kingdom. None. Because you will just want to go hide in a corner. What could I do? What could God ever do through me? I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday, and I don't even remember who it was now, but, but they said, you know, you don't seem to get taken up when people brag on you. And I kind of laughed and I said, well, that's an easy one. How, how is it that I don't get a big head? Because I know the real me. I know how bad I was. During, I, I've always described it as my hell years because I was a hellion living for hell. And those 12 years when I was out in the world, I know I have never told some of the stuff I got involved with, never will told. I've told God. He knew it anyway but I have taken it to him and put it under the blood. But I know what I'm capable of doing. I know how vile I'm capable of being. I don't care how much God uses you. I'm pretty much in Paul's camp. (laughs) I know how bad I can be. If God uses me, I'm always the first that's shocked. Somebody comes and said, man, that message really blessed me. And it's like, really? Okay. And I, and I th- sit down and think to myself, wow, how did you get here? How did you ever get to the place where God will use you to do this? Because I know what I did. But I, that's when I start thinking about how I was and what I'm still capable of doing. If I let my flesh run wild, I have to keep coming back. I have to keep running to that throne of grace. I keep to have to keep coming back and say, 
You filled me with faith. You filled me with love because your mercy and your grace is brand new every morning. I cannot exhaust His love. I have to concentrate on, on His generosity and His grace. James chapter 3. Again, this sets up where we should not be. Verse, uh, starting in verse 8. This is the New Living Translation. No one can tame the tongue. Why, why, did, why does James say that? Because your tongue is, is a part of your physical body and it's tainted with sin. That's it. No one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. I'm telling you what, I was tempted. There was, and I'll just, I'll, I'll tell on myself because it's easy. In this um, exchange I had, this, 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 she's a, this girl's an EMT and she knows a little bit. But she, in several places in there, she really tried to prick me to get me angry because she knew she'd win the argument if she'd get me angry. And she kept saying, you need to go back and read and study a little more. You need to go back and read and study a little more. And then when she finally got fed up with me um, and just kind of cut the conversation off, she said, I've got to go study my microbiology. And I'm telling you, I had, I had it typed twice. And the Lord made me go erase it because what I wanted to answer was, Will you go study your microbiology, honey? Because I've already mastered that subject. Plus, I took a class in embryology, and I've taken several in organic chemistry. I have a bachelor's degree in biology, a master's degree in science education, and 25 years teaching this stuff. Don't tell me I need to go read. I know more than you do. What was that? That was my pride rising up, wanting to say, you little squirt, you... Th you're an EMT. For God's sake, you're, sakes, you're not a, 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 a professional medical person. Now, yes, and thank God for EMTs. I'm not denigrating that. But my pride really wanted to get involved. And that is, an, even though I was typing it, that was an extension of my tongue. And it was full of poison. And I could have poisoned the whole conversation. Instead, I just had to say... This is not about you, John. Not about whether she respects you, because it was obvious she didn't respect me. In fact, I had her in my anatomy class in high school. It's, it wasn't about respect. It wasn't about me. It was about presenting the truth and trying to be an influence in our world to say, look, we have gotten so far out on this subject. That, and, and she was arguing openly not only do we need to allow abortion on the day of delivery, but if a, if a baby is born with a really severe handicap, you just need to let them die. She's arguing for infanticide. It's become mainstream today. You know, at some point as, as Christians, as just moral human beings, you have to stand up and say, that's just wrong. And if you don't recognize it's wrong, then... Wow, you are, you're pretty far gone. But they are far gone. They're so far gone that only God can reach them. That's why, and I, I'm not bragging on me, but in the middle of it, I inserted a little thing that said, look, I understand that a lot of you people that are writing and some of you that aren't writing, you're just reading this thread, you've had abortions and you're feeling guilty. There's only one way out and his name is Jesus. I put a gospel presentation in the middle of it. 
because I wanted to make sure, and that's why I could not allow my pride to get involved. I had to stick with the facts and stick with mercy. There's a way out of this. There's a way out of where you are, but it requires you to humbly come before God and say, I was wrong. For us, that's pretty much a daily occurrence if you want to walk with God. You have to get up in the morning and say, Lord, yesterday I'm letting it go because I really fouled up a lot. But I'm starting over again today. You know the old joke, Lord, I haven't done anything so far. I've, I've had a good attitude. I've done this. I've done that. But now I'm about to put my feet out of the, from under the covers and, you know, and get up this morning. That's where the problem comes in when we get up and start living life. But what does James say? Verse 10. He said, we, sometimes we bless God and we curse those that have made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring bubble water excuse me, does a spring of water bubble out both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What this does, what this not misusing the name of the Lord, it makes us pay attention to what am I operating in, out of my spirit or out of my flesh? Is this my pride or is this something God's prompting me to do? And let me be honest with you. If you don't feel God prompting you to do something, probably the best thing to do is not do it. Dean said it in a conversation yesterday. Somebody in our prayer circle, and I'm not picking on him. He's a good man. But he, he started to say something. He said, I probably shouldn't say this. And Dean, man, right there, Johnny on the spot. If you can say that, you probably shouldn't. How many times have we said out of my mouth, out of your mouth, I probably shouldn't say this, and then you just go right on and say it. That little thought, I probably shouldn't say it, was probably God saying, you probably shouldn't say this. Don't do that. Just let it go. What do we do? We just go on and do it anyway. Why? Because we operate out of our flesh. But that's part of what the law does. It helps us when we get familiar with it. It helps us understand whether I'm operating out of my spirit or operating out of my flesh. It gives us signposts along the way. And when I start recognizing, when I start getting in the flesh, that's when I can pull out and say, Lord, I slipped. I slipped over in that ditch, but I'm getting out real quick. And it's the old thing when you first start driving... Now, I had, I had it easier because I grew up on a farm. I learned to drive in first gear in the pickup truck when I couldn't press, I couldn't get to the pedals. Dad just put it in first gear and have me steer. Just don't touch the gas, let it idle. And we'd idle around the field, and he'd tell me to turn left or turn right, and he'd throw things in the back. Or you're on the tractor and it's going slow. Well, when, you have to, when you're a city kid and you have to learn out on the streets or in a parking lot, Sometimes it's hard because the first time I got in a real car and could control the pedals, I went from ditch to ditch. Man, I was, I was overcorrecting everything. But then as you get better at it, you realize it's little corrections. It's little corrections. Even when you run off in the ditch, if you overcorrect, you're going to wreck. You have to correct gently. 
Our life is the same way. God doesn't jerk you up. He gently corrects you because He doesn't want you to fly over to the other ditch. He wants you to get back in the middle of the road. Now, to, to um, close this out, what does our life say? What I have on the sign out there. Your life tells a story. Do you mean what you say? 1 Corinthians, this is Paul speaking, and there's two passages that I picked here. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul said this, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul set himself up as an example. No. He said, Follow how I follow Christ. Look at how what I do to keep myself straight and keep myself in line with, with God through His Word. And when you figure out what I, can, what I do, to, do to get that accomplished, that's how you're to live too. Not my actions, as far as I eat this. It was funny, when, when, when Gina and I were in Tulsa, I had a lot of respect for Brother Hagen, but it was also funny because I was in my 30s. I had two kids, you know, I was a grown-up. Half or more of the student body were teenagers. And, but it was funny. Brother Hagen, he used to say when he dressed himself, he liked to wear, well, his family would tell him, he liked to wear uh, saddle blankets made into to sport coats. He liked really bright prints and stuff. Well, finally, they just put their foot down and said, we're going to go send you somewhere and have someone dress you. And there was a guy that did a men's shop. But, and as new styles would come in, he would have a new style jacket or something on. And it was funny. He would come out with a brand new style of jacket. Boy, within six weeks, you'd see him cropping up in the student body. Everybody wanted to dress like Brother Hagen did, thinking if they dressed like him, they would be like him. <laughs> I can dress like a world-class athlete. It does not make me a world-class athlete. That's why, I mean, how many people have you seen over the years? They wear, you know, for me, it was Brett Favre jersey. I can't throw a football like Brett Favre. I can't run like Brett Favre. I can't even throw a football like Brett Favre throws today, and he's way past his prime. Wearing the clothes doesn't make the man. But when I'm following Christ, and you see how I follow Christ, and how what works in my life does work, then follow that example. Philippians 3.17 says the same thing. Brethren, join in following my example and take note of those who so walk as you have seen us as a pattern. That is why it is so important when we call ourselves Christians, we literally are putting ourselves out in the world's eye. We are a pattern to live by. And boy, when you mess that up, you hurt the kingdom. So we need to be very, very, very careful how we live and are we living the way Christ lived. And remember, you saw Christ's judgment side and His mercy side. He was very merciful to the sinners. And He was downright rude and sometimes violent with the legalists. You read about when he cleaned out the temple. It's, he didn't have a temper tantrum. It says he sat and wove a cord. He took a rope and took his time 
and wove it into a whip that would do some damage. And then he walked through that temple and he kicked tables over on purpose. He whipped people. He ran them out. You tell that story to some people and it's like, I no, 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 you can't. You, that is not my Jesus. Okay, then you're not getting the whole Jesus. You're not getting the full gospel. Now, I love teaching on prosperity. I love teaching on how God wants to prosper you and do good things for you. He wants to heal you. He wants, to, he wants your life to run perfect. But He also, there are times when you have to confront people. There are times when you just have to say, this is sin. And, you know, I said it yesterday in the, in the men's prayer. You know, the rule was, and it's, it's a universal rule that's been in place for a long time. When Thanksgiving, Christmas, holidays come up and you have a family dinner, you don't talk politics and you don't talk religion. Wow. If you want to keep peace, that's probably a good rule. But those that are in error will never be corrected. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go in and be a jerk. In fact, I can tell you right now, if you, if you go in and act like a jerk, nobody's probably going to listen to you. But sometimes you have to represent the truth and say that's just not that's just not right. And here is the truth. And you can't point to another man, you can't point to a political party, you can't point to your church. You have to take people right back to the word. You take them to the word and you say this is what the word says. The word says that this is how we should live. And I have to judge everything in, in my life and in my, my community's life, my state's life, my, my nation's life, and how we interact with other nations according to the Word. It's the Word that's my standard, not my opinion. And I have to be very careful to keep those two separate. And it's hard to do. It is very, very hard to do. It's part of the reason you have to be open to the Spirit of God correcting you. Amen? And make sure that if you are representing what you say as God's word on the subject, you better be right. Or you'll bring dis- disrepute to the kingdom. And that, that will get Jesus as involved as it did with the money changers. Amen? And I'll just give you one little, one little secret. Part of, of how you will recognize that a lot of times is when you put restrictions or put, put demands on people that you're not willing, willing to meet in your own life. I can't judge others with a standard that I am not willing to meet. But then I also have to understand that I, I can't, I have to be careful about holding people that don't have my strengths to the standards in behavior that I'm strong in. But when I'm weak in something, I'm very rarely going to criticize people in areas that I'm weak because I can't do it either. I'm weak in that area. We need to, that's why we need to let the Word be our guide. Amen? And these commandments are a pretty good guide. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCC.
indianapolis.com.